So we're on case two by Zhang and the wild fox. So I'll read it, we'll sit for five minutes and then someone else will read it with the woman's comment. Every time Bai Zhang taught, there was an old man who followed the congregation to listen to Dharma talks. When the congregation dispersed, so would the old man. Unexpectedly, one day this elderly man stayed behind. So Bai Zhang approached him. Who is it that stands before me? The old man said, I'm actually not human. In the time of the ancient Buddha Kashyapa, when I was dwelling here on this very mountain, a student asked me, does a person of great practice still fall into cause and effect or not? I replied that he does not fall into cause and effect. As a consequence, I have been condemned to be a fox for 500 rebirths. I now ask you, Master, for a turning phrase so as to release me from being a wild fox. Then he asked, does a person of great practice still fall into cause and effect or not? <clears throat> so this is the question. Bai Zhang said, he is not deluded about cause and effect. At these words, the old man was greatly awakened. He bowed in reverence and said, I have now shed this fox's body behind the other side of the mountain. Please, master, give me a funeral service due to a dead monk. Yeah. Bai Zhang ordered the rector to pound the gavel to summon the assembly and announced to them, after we eat, we shall hold a funeral for a dead monk. The congregation was puzzled and began to discuss the matter among themselves. They went to the infirmary, but there was no one sick there. They wondered why Bai Zhang was acting like this. After their meal, Bai Zhang led the congregation to a cliff on the other side of the mountain, where he used his cane and dragged out the body of a dead fox from a crevice in the rocks. They then formally cremated the body as they would a monk's. That night, Bai Zhang ascended up to the Dharma Hall and related the full story of what had happened. <laughs> Wang Bo then asked, one wrong reply and this old man was condemned to be a fox for 500 rebirths. If his reply had been correct, then what? Bai Zhang said, come here and I'll tell you. Wang Bo then went up and gave Bai Zhang a good slap in the face. Bai Zhang clapped his hands and laughed and said, I knew the Western barbarian's beard was red, but didn't know that red was the beard of the barbarian. <clears throat> so do you want to time us for five minutes? Sure. Okay.
So who would like to read the colon and um, woman's comment? I'll read it if you'd like. Great. All right. So first the comment part, Peg, and then the, the koan? No, first the koan and then the, then the comment. And the koan starts with not falling? The, um, the koan starts with Baijong and the wild fox. I must not have the right pages, so I may need to pass. Oh, okay. All right. I apologize. It's page 28 in the book. Well, I have a printout. Ah, okay, I can read it if no, there's not. Okay, thank you. Thank is you. It, is it showing on the screen? No. Mm, no. Oh, what's that? It's just a wide screen. I, I can read it. It's fine. Thank you. Okay, case two: Baijong and the wild fox. Every time Baijong taught, there was an old man who followed the congregation to listen to Dharma talk. When the congregation dispersed, so would the old man. Unexpectedly, one day this elderly man stayed behind, so Baijong approached him. Who is it that stands before me? The old man said, I'm actually not human. In the time of the ancient Buddha Kashyapa, when I was dwelling here on this very mountain, a student asked me, does a person of great practice still fall into cause and effect or not? I replied that he does not fall into cause and effect. As a consequence, I have been condemned to be a fox for 500 rebirths. I now ask you, Master, for a turning phrase so as to release me from being a wild fox. Then he asked, does a person of great practice still fall into cause and effect or not? Baijang said, he is not deluded about cause and effect. At these words, the old man was greatly awakened. He bowed in reverence and said, I have now shed this fox's body behind the other side of the mountain. Please, master, give me a funeral service due to a dead monk. Baijang orders the rector to pound the gavel to summon the assembly and announce to them, after we eat, we shall hold a funeral for a dead monk. The congregation was puzzled and began to discuss the matter among themselves. They went to the infirmary, but there was no, no one sick there. They wondered why Baijong was acting like this. After their meal, Baijong led the congregation to a cliff on the other side of the mountain, where he used his cane and dragged out the body of a dead fox from a crevice in the rocks. They then formally cremated the body as they would a monk's. That night, Baijong ascended up to the Dharma Hall and related the full story of what had happened. Huang Bo then asked, one wrong reply and this old man was condemned to be a fox for 500 rebirths? If his reply had been correct, then what? Baijong said, come here and I will tell you. Huang Bo then went up and gave Baijiang a good slap in the face. Baijiang clapped his hands and laughed and said, I knew the Western barbarian's beard was red, but didn't know that red was the beard of the barbarian. Woman's comment, not falling into cause and effect. Why was he condemned to be a wild fox? not being deluded about cause and effect. Why was he released from the fox's body? If you have the eyes of insight, then you will know why, long ago on Baijong Mountain, the old man won for himself 500 lifetimes flowing with the wind. Mm -hmm. Not falling, not deluded, two faces of a single die. Not deluded, not falling, tens of thousands of errors. Okay, so we sit for another um, five minutes and then we're going to do some writing. So make sure you have writing utensils or implements with you. So 
So we'll sit for five minutes and then we'll write for five minutes.
Okay. Now we take up reading the commentary by Guo Gu. So this first paragraph is just a couple of lines. So we'll so you can read the uh, the paragraph that follows if you like. Might be you, Annie. Yep, I think it's I think you start, but you're muted. <laughs> okay. Now good. So suffering and anguish are self-created. Happiness is what you make it. Yet what propels us to suffer and to experience happiness? In Buddhism, the never-ending cycle of suffering is called samsara. The whole Buddhist project is to transcend this cycle and to realize nirvana, which is the extinction of greed, aversion, ignorance, those qualities that fuel this cycle. These three poisons operate on the basis of cause and effect. That is, when the three poisons, as the cause, are present, samsara, as the effect, continues. When the three poisons are absent, samsara ceases. When this arises, that too arises. When this ceases, that too shall cease. But who can transcend samsara? One who awakens from the dream of samsara and realizes that there is no self who transmigrates in it. This is Buddhism 101. In the case above, the old man's reply to his student's question is correct. So why was he condemned to be a wild fox for 500 lifetimes in samsara? Why a fox? Do I keep going? Do I keep reading here? Oh, Somebody Peg else is muted. Yeah, you're muted. No, no, the next person reads then the next paragraph. So that would be um, Barbara. Barbara. In pre-modern modern East Asian imaginaire, a fox is seen to be a shapeshifter, a trickster, a deceiver, even though the old man's reply about karma or cause and effect is indeed true. From the Chan perspective, he was a wild fox. I think, Barbara, you have to speak up just a little bit. Um, okay, yeah. he was a wild fox. Why? Because he himself was deceived by the illusion of samsara. And in answering his student, he deceived others. Thus, samsara continued for him, confining him for so long in suffering. So he begged Chan Master Baishan um, to give him a turning phrase. This refers to words that can completely turn illusion to awakening. How? By revealing the true nature of right and wrong, falling and not falling, illusion and awakening. Bai Zhang replied to the same question by changing only a single word from not falling to not deluding. Does great awakening rest on the distinction of these two words? No. But precisely because the old man was holding on to words so tightly, expecting Bajan to give him a correct answer upon hearing such a lame one, one that completely threw him off, he experienced an awakening. In answering him, Bajan shattered the old man's attachment to right and wrong, falling and not falling, delusion and awakenings. Chan Meister Bai Zhang is one of the great, greatest Chan Masters of the Tang Dynasty. It was he who supposedly established the Chan monastic codes that practitioners follow. One may say that he was one of the chief contributors who institutionalized the Chan tradition. He is the 36th generation in the direct line from Sakyamuni Buddha in India. The name Bai Zhang comes from the mountain where he resided. Mount Baijong, which means a precipitous cliff 100 feet high. 
As the resident teacher of this mountain community, he regularly gave Dharma talks to his students and local people. One day, however, this old man stayed behind after the talk was over and the others had left. What transpired that day is of great importance to our present life. Why? Because we too are caught by the endless proliferation of right and wrong, falling and not falling, delusion and awakening. That night, Vaijan told the whole story to the rest of the assembly. That's when his student, Wang Bo Ji Yun, challenged him. Wang Bo, as the chief disciple of Baijong, later became one of the greatest Chan masters in history. Their playfulness at the end of this case demonstrates that, like father, like son, they shared the same awakening, which is beyond right and wrong, but inseparable from right and wrong. When Wang Bo slapped Baijong, he of course did not get angry, but was delighted. Why? Wonderful, wonderful indeed. The barbarian has red beard. Red beard belongs to the barbarian. Perhaps the red beard is not such a good analogy for our modern time. So let me translate this exchange in a way that you can understand. How wonderful, how wonderful. Men are males, males are men. Women are females, females are women. Similarly, <laughs> not falling into cause and effect is not to be diluted by cause and effect. Ordinary concepts evolve around right or wrong. Some people believe that it is wrong to think that awakened saints do not fall into cause and effect. When Baijong says that awakened saints are not diluted by or blind to the workings of cause and effect, he is not denying cause and effect. However, if you believe that the terms falling and deluded are identical, then you are also wrong. <laughs> I think I'm next, right? Eric? Why is it that, the, that in this natural world, with its natural order of things, you accumulate suffering? When you have something, you're satisfied. When you lose it, you're sad. The gaining and losing seem natural. Yet, do you really gain anything? Do you really lose anything? When I was a young boy, I used to love playing with Play-Doh, <laughs> kneading it into a person, a house, a dog, into all kinds of things. In the world of Play-Doh, there can be a man and a woman, a friend and a foe. Something can be big, while other things can be small. I created stories about the things I made. Imagine a Play-Doh man or woman that thinks that life is all about accumulating more Play-Doh. The more, the better. When it can't have what it wants, it experiences a sense of loss and grief. Wouldn't you agree that in your world of Play-Doh, you are constantly afflicted by the winds of gaining and losing? Throughout your life, all of your vexations and afflictions and everything that you do are governed by right and wrong, gaining and losing, having and lacking, freedom and bondage. All of your suffering comes from the push and pull of duality, all. This is like the Plato person mistaking other Plato things as something else. Isn't this what you do? <coughs> Taking things to be other than what they are? You may believe that this Plato Gucci bag is really much better than the walnut bag or that this latest Play-Doh iPhone 6 is much better than Model 5 or 4. When you think along these lines, your physical health, even your life, having it, losing it, impose great suffering. Leon, is, are you next? But you're, you're muted, Leon. <laughs> In <laughs> practice does not change you into a zombie or a stoic, lifeless, emotionless, without happiness or sorrow, without right and wrong, without gaining and losing. It makes you compassionate and wise, deeply experiencing that you are impermanent, inseparable, and connected to everything, and everyone around you in this world of Plato is the wisdom of no losing and no gaining. Like the waves of an ocean, each wave may feel independent, separate, but in fact, it is one with the ocean. 
actually, you can't even say it is one because there was never, because there has never been another. If in the world there were only men, would there be a need for the term men? Of course not. Men is only re relevant when there's a notion of women. To see the inseparability of waves and ocean is wisdom. To act according to it is compassion. Losing sight of this reality, you are deceived by duality, separateness, the result of which is living as a fox for 500 years. Next time you have vexations, emotional affliction, ask yourself, why am I trapped in this fox box for 500 years? Remind yourself of the Plato analogy and see if you have kneaded yourself into a fox again. Is there a need to need to construct, to rigidify, rigidify yourself into anything? Success or failure, having or lacking, are relevant only in the game of Plato. But what is also true is that if you are unattached to the identities of each Plato figure, if you don't fabricate stories, anything is possible. You will be okay with being anything. A friend of mine had terminal cancer. He had practiced the teachings most of his life, but when he got ill, everything was thrown out the window. All of his practice, all of his knowledge of Buddhist doctrine, that is, until my teacher said to him, what is it to be a practitioner? That was a turning phrase for him. He realized that all of his life, he had been constructing his own identity as a practitioner, his practice had been to substitute one thing for another, to knit one thing into another. Before he started to practice, he collected material goods. When he began to practice, he was, he was collecting spiritual things. He was not truly practicing. When he heard my teacher, he would doubt the self that he had constructed. My next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you. He was miserable in the hospital when he first moved in. He couldn't even take care of himself. After my teacher posed that question to him, he became like the sun, illuminating everyone on that hospital floor for the terminally ill. He realized that his life was like a small wave in the ocean. He became everything and everyone. He let go of the constructs, identities, experiences, and knowledge that had bound him. For example, he began to devote himself to all the patients on that floor, walking around with his rolling IV stand and a tube in his arm. He was the happiest man around, helping and cheering up everyone on that floor. He was spreading the Dharma, not through Buddhist doctrine, but through his actions. The small wave became the ocean. Yet when there was only the ocean, there's no longer need for the idea of ocean. Passed away peacefully, but he lives on in all of those affected by his practice. With this, be this fully. With that, be that fully. When sad, be completely sad. When happy, completely happy. Through and through, become the wave. Become the ocean. Become the cause and effect. How can you not be? In all of life's ups and downs, right in the midst of it, there is freedom. Have no fixed ideas of gaining and losing. But if you get caught up with words, language, and concepts, not falling, not diluted, then you will be merely substituting one Plato character for another. Even though I say these words, and as a concept, they may be relatively easy to understand, is not getting caught up easy to do? It may not be so easy. When you face challenges or adversities in life, such as when someone blames you or even pleasure, the ripples start rolling inside you. The waves are stirred and you become a small wave, losing sight of the ocean. That's why you need to practice. To practice is to develop stability and awareness. Once the mind is stable, you become aware of that which is truly relevant. Things are put into their proper perspective. The more stable you are, the more perceptive you become without 
relying on constructs or molds. If you are unstable, then as in flickering candlelight, things are very hard to see. You perceive only fragments, shadows, or may even see things that are not actually there. If the candlelight is steady, the luminosity will be steady and things will be revealed clearly. Um, should I? Yes, Anne, you go, go ahead. Now? Yeah. Thanks, Annie. And Annie. I see yeah. you too. Um, the practice of stability also means living harmoniously with others. This includes sustaining a moral, mindful life. Practice is not to get somewhere, to attain something that you don't already have, or to be someone you're not. Practice is to see what you already have, to be who you really are, to bring forth your true potential. Using the Play-Doh analogy, it is to be who you truly are. But if your mind is scattered, and your emotions wild, you will not be able to realize this. Instead, you will be caught up with the gaining and losing of the infinite shapes of Play-Doh. <laughs> Is it my turn next? Yes, Annie. Okay. The awareness of connectedness, inseparability, dynamic malleability of Play-Doh is what Buddhism sometimes refers to as wisdom and compassion. The fact that Play-Doh has no fixed play dogness is <laughs> wisdom. The fact that Play-Doh has infinite potential to form into whatever it needs to be for the benefit of others is compassion. Practice is not about becoming intellectually smart. It just means cultivating stability and awareness to see your true nature, the result of which is natural compassion and wisdom. A genuine realization of this insight is wisdom. Your action based on that insight is compassion. It is so natural because it is who you are. That's the meaning of this going on. Don't get caught up with the words falling or diluted. They are two faces of a single die. I've presented to you a new pair of glasses, a new way of looking at things, which may be useful as a signpost. But genuine practice is necessary if you are to be free from the captivation, repulsion of emotional afflictions that come from grasping and rejection, re rejecting. If you are unclear, then take up this case and investigate. Observe within your life the me mechanism that propels, shapes, or forms you in this way. Recognize whence it arises and where it goes. As you practice, you may notice that your mind is less and less swayed, pushed and pulled by the ripples in your heart and the winds in the environment. It is not that you want to get rid of these ripples, but ripples have their own causes and conditions. And in rippling, there's no water, it's stillness, there are great waves. In, in stillness, there are great well, waves, limpid, clear water, transparent to the bottom, and muddy water filled with ripples and gunk have the same nature, the nature of wetness. This is the Chan view. When you practice, you are not affected by wandering thoughts. When they arise, pick up the method, not because the method is better than wandering thoughts, but because this is just what you do. The more you practice this way, the greater your inner power will be. The inner power is not the kind of, is not the kind that is generated and trained your muscles to do this and that. Then you gain something and lose it again. This power is the ability to instantaneously drop wandering thoughts and return to the method. This malleability is your true nature, which is free and liberates you from moment to moment. Try to hold on to your anger 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. See how long you can hold it. 
you can't will it because it is of the nature of anger to be free, to liberate itself. When you personally awaken to your self-nature, it will be like putting down a heavy load on your shoulders. Your experiences, knowledge, concepts, and everything you have ever known, suddenly the weight disappears. You are free. That is Chan. But until you come to know this personally, you had better work on this going on and ask yourself why you have been living the life of a fox. Investigate. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> All right. So I think our process was going to be to um, discuss together, and we had the idea of doing this in breakout rooms, I think. Um, so it's not quite so many um, discussions going at the same time. So I think we, so we have 16 people, so we could have four rooms probably. Mm -hmm. And maybe. Um, until about uh, order after, probably. Then we can come back together and see what we learned. Okay, so, so that's um, 20, 28 minutes? No. No, 13 and 15. That's 28. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that should be good. Options. Okay, we're back. I'm not sharing the screen now, am I? No, no. no. Oh, good. <laughs> it's sad that we lose people. Oh, I guess we lost people. Well, we lost Peg too. Right, so maybe they're- They might still be talking. Yeah, they might still be talking. <laughs> <laughs> three or four more people. So I don't think they yeah, we just full credit. Right there. There they are. We're back. We're back. Oh, good. We have a sixteen, and we didn't lose anyone. Got everybody back. Yeah. So how did that go? What um, did you make discoveries? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> what did you notice, Stephanie? You. Why are you talking to me? <laughs> Being called on. Well, your, eyes. <laughs> your eyes are telling us. I'm sorry. Um, what did I notice? I noticed that this one was much harder than the first one. I had a lot more trouble with this one. A lot more trouble. I found myself really getting caught up in um, wanting to pick at it. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, It'll work on yeah. you that way. Yeah. We'll see. It'll keep, keep working on you too. I was saying, um, this is one of my favorite koans. I don't know why. I can't decide whether it's because there's a fox in it or it just seems you know, sparkling to me, really sparkling. Mm -hmm. It's got humor, it's, it's kind of zany. <laughs> mm. 
Well, we went back and started rereading it. <laughs> rereading the commentary. So uh -huh. trying to get another fresh yeah. start. On yeah, there's a lot in Guogu's commentary, I think. Yeah. Did it make any more sense the second time you read it? <laughs> we didn't get very far, but um, yeah, yeah, it definitely helped. For me, it definitely helped to again sit with the words and and um, yeah, we were talking about the fox and why the fox, and so it was good to, to revisit that part of the of the comment. And um, but yeah, I can't say I'm. I think, like um, Stephanie, I'm going to need to sit with it a little bit more. Yeah, it's a real tease in that way, this, this koan. Yeah. I, I, I used to, you know, beget, uh, it used to be really fraught when I was um, uh, working with koans. Not, not when I was working with jo Joko. When I was working with Joko, I was very playful. Um, but, but, you know, working with other teachers felt very fraught. Mm -hmm. And um, I love this. Um, uh, what, what Chosen said to me is, oh, koans are like bonbons. <laughs> <laughs> she said, they're just like little treats. <laughs> and that really broke down some of my feeling like, oh, I've got to figure this out. <laughs> So, Peg, I do have a question. Yes. Um, what? And I don't know if this is true for anyone else. Kim, you've done this for quite a while. To me, it feels like there's a really big difference between these koans and the koans from the women in Hidden Lamp. Oh, uh-huh. Well, there's more. Some are real koans and some are stories. Yeah, some okay. are stories. Yeah, it's actually a story. It's not really a koan. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's what the difference is then. More, more of a story. Yeah. 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 And, and the, you know, it's the, they are really, I think of them as depth charges or internal combustion engines. You know, they're working on you. You're not even really able to understand how they function and they, uh, and they grab you, you know, so this is pivotal, this question of cause and effect. It's pivotal in our lives. We're constantly searching for the answers to cause and effect. And if I do this, will that happen? And if I sit in meditation, will I get enlightened? And um, will I get less angry or something, you know? So there, we're constantly negotiating um, as a form of control, I think, you know, to help us m imagine that we have some control over things. That's the fox in us, isn't it? Yeah. 500 lifetimes. Pretty long time. <laughs> Even in so years, you know. I mean, we don't like to admit to ourselves that, uh, that we're foxes. Well, no. That's what I know. Talking about. And that's what Google is talking about in the commentary, you know. Plato, the Plato universe. <laughs> Which is the way we've described Bodhi, uh, bodhisattvas uh, like Plato, where they can become anything needed for the That's job. Right. That's right. So, Peg, I have a question that's kind of maybe not this specific to this koan, but just in koan practice in general, and there's like some aspect of it in these stories that's, you know, like poetry in a sense that, you know, even scholars can't necessarily agree on the, on on pieces of poetry and whether it's good poetry or bad poetry and this sort of thing. And so um, when people demonstrate, if that's the right word, even to a teacher that they've somehow understood a koan, like what is that really taking to mean? Because it, it seems like, you know, all of these things are, are meant to, are meant to bring forth something but may, I mean, like someone may express the answer differently, but still somehow get the gist of it. The answer is really, I think of it as a kind of absolute. Um, your presentation of it is a kind of absolute. Um, uh, Chosen used to say like, 
the response to a koan is something that even an illiterate child in the forest could understand. So it's not something, it's not sophisticated theoretical understanding. It's not your, you know, um, theological breakthroughs. It's none of that. Um, and when it's apparent, it's completely apparent. And so uh, Roko Osho said, um, when she was talking to um, a teacher about this, about koan study, you know, and she was talking to a Soto teacher who doesn't use koans the way they do in the Rinzai tradition. And Roko Osho is in the Rinzai tradition. And she said, you can tell when they open the door. <laughs> um, and I get it, you know, I mean, having worked with koans uh, enough, you know, not a, not a huge amount, but enough to recognize, oh, when it's resolved, it's so resolved, it can't, it, it, it's almost makes you laugh because it couldn't have been anything else. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not like anything goes or your answer is as good as anybody else's or your, it's, it has nothing to do with that. It's like, it's like a key in a lock. Um, so it's, it's absolutely clear to you and to the teacher immediately. And you think, oh, but this is actually turns out to be about my life. This isn't about Baijiang back there in China on the mountain, you know, um, this is exactly about my life actually. Um, and it's, um, it's almost like it's startling in that way. So you realize, oh, this is surprising um, that it turns out to be something so simple, but the conceptual mind can never get there. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand it is if someone were to tell you the answer and then you went to the teacher, you wouldn't pass. No, I wouldn't do any good at all. It, there's, it actually, a book, there, there's supposedly a book somewhere with all the answers. Yeah, good luck with that because uh, because then the teacher asks you a testing question, you know, like what color is moon then, or yeah, and then you're sort of sunk, you know, <laughs> you're really sunk. Well, you, could, you could Google for it, maybe. What color is moon? Possibly, yeah, yeah, but you're right in front of a teacher and not in so, front of Google. So, or, or maybe the answer is what is moon. So it's, it's interesting, you know, it reminds me of the PhD dissertation defense where the, um, the professors asked the candidate a question and he said, well, I don't actually need to know the answer to that because I can look it up anytime I want to. And the professor said, that doesn't seem to be the case right now, does it? <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to be right there. <laughs> It's, uh, there's no, there's really no hiding with koans and you'll thrash around, you know, and you thrash around and you, you think, oh, I've got it. I'm going to go right in and tell the teacher, you know? Yeah, that's. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I don't know how much time we have, but anyway, I, the process, this pro long process of working with the Cohen or have the Cohen is actually working on you. Yeah. In you know, and you think you've got it and you got a breakthrough and then you don't and then, you know, the teacher, you know, rings the bell next, you know. Yeah. Not even answering you and stuff. It really breaks down your ego and your sense of self and makes you so aware of your self referentiality, you know, when you're like and it's embarrassing. You're humiliated, you're mad, you're going to change teachers, I'm going to quit, you know. All <laughs> humiliated. Yeah. Oh, humiliation. Yeah. yeah. It's very humbling. And then it just kind of falls away ultimately. Yeah. You let it go. Yeah. And so much depends on um, the intimacy between you and the teacher. I mean, this is really what, um, what this koan practice is about. Um, and it's hard to believe that when they're ringing you out, they're, they're really rooting for you. You know, mm -hmm. teachers are really, really rooting for you. Um, but they, <laughs> they're so dismissive. <laughs> uh, we think we, with our fragile Western egos, you know, we want a lot of, you know, praise and support and let me help you with that. And yeah, yeah it's brutal. Really brutal. 
in some ways. But also, I'm, I'm, oh, it's so satisfying. Yeah. I'm just curious to what extent I just, well, I remember reading about Nagarjuna, his main intent was to end suffering. And that's, of course, with everything else in Buddhism. And if the koans also, at some level, are about that. And I suspect yeah. they are, as opposed to being just stuff to train your mind. We haven't gone down the Nagarjuna trail because Nagarjuna kicks the props out of every single thing you could ever hold on to. At some point we might be able to do that, but Nagarjuna is, man, that's the total nuclear annihilation of anything you thought you could hold on to. Yeah, so koans in the same way, yeah, have a similar kind of effect. But, but yeah. do you, I, in the end, they, it, it's got to be more than a game. It's got to be something that will really... Oh, no, it's an existential crisis. It's not a game. Yeah. It's a genuine existential crisis. Yeah, it's a head-banging existential crisis. And, you know, like the iron ball that you've swallowed, you can't spit it out. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a wonderful challenge, but even playing with them in this way, you can see how they have, you know, they sort of attach themselves to you and then the next thing you know, they're sort of floating into your consciousness. What's the story of that fox anyway, you know? Yeah, have fun this week. <laughs> we'll see you next week for Koan 3. <laughs> Enjoy yourselves. Thank you. Stay Take safe. care. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Thank you, Dave.